Good morning, TC3. It's good to be with you today. I'm going to vent a little bit. I, I'm a guy who, maybe, the, maybe you're like this as well, I hate it when movies end poorly. Does anybody in here hate it when movies end poorly? Like you put like an hour and a half to two hours in and you're like, that's the worst ending in the world. I, I, that's one of my pet peeves. So like I remember back in the 1900s, they came out with this movie called The Titanic, right? Some of you experienced that. You watch that movie. And when you watch the movie, there is this whirlwind romance between Jack and Rose. And then Jack ends up dying, right? He dies. Like, how can this be a good ending? Jack dies. And then after that, Rose takes the heart of the ocean, a 56-carat diamond, and throws it into the water. Like, if you're her granddaughter, wouldn't you be going, thanks a lot, Grandma? Right? You just threw $300 million into the ocean. Like, how can this be a good ending? We like... We like things to end well. We like happy endings in, in movies. Go back again into the 1900s to a movie called Princess Bride. Any of you ever see that movie? If you have not, you should put that on your list, right? There is a famous line in there that Wesley always uses, and the line is, as you wish, right? He says it over and over again to Buttercup, who is just a snot, right? Just a spoiled snot. Some of you are elbowing, going, hey, he's talking to you this morning. She's a snot. But she realizes through the course of time that every time he's saying, as you wish, he's actually saying, I love you. And he wins Buttercup's heart in the movie. It's an incredible movie with a great ending. And then you go into the movie The Grinch, right? He was born with his heart two times, his heart was two times too small, is what the line says. Two times too small. And then he steals Christmas from Whoville and then realizes that they didn't feel like Christmas was about all that stuff anyways. And then his heart grows when he understands the meaning of, script, of, of, of Christmas to three times its size. And then the real-life depiction of Oscar Schindler where he's this greedy businessman. And he decides that he's going to use, use the Jewish people for, for cheap labor. And then all of a sudden he has this change of heart. And you see him trying to rescue as many Jewish people as possible from the Holocaust. And you see him, that, that, that huge captivating scene at the very end of the movie, which is, you know, I've, I've just, I never forgot it when I saw it where he's like, takes his pen out, he's like, this, two, this, this pen could have saved two more Jewish lives. This car could have saved ten more Jewish people. And he's wrestling with, did he do enough? But yet there's this massive change of heart that took place in his life that literally rescued people and generations. Happy endings happen because there's a change of heart, and the book of Ezra doesn't leave us with this happy ending. It reveals the inclination that we have in our hearts towards evil. That we have to continually push it back and be on our guard. Ezra and Nehemiah are these great leaders who lead with mixed results. 
Some of you are leading and you're looking at the people that are around you that you're trying to lead, whether it's in your home or whether it's in your business or wherever God has placed you, you're trying to lead and you're leading with mixed results. Listen, God just doesn't want you to win when it comes to leadership. He wants you to finish strong, no matter what the results are around you. In Ezra chapter 9, verse number 10, it said, what can we say after all of this? Ezra is reflecting on what God had done. He brought them out of captivity. What can we say out of, after all of this? Once again, we've abandoned your commands. And so Ezra, you know, he oversees basically the, the, the spiritual resurrection of the nation of Israel. And then he goes away and then he comes back and he sees that they had fallen once again prey to the culture that was around them. And so... We ask the question when you read the book, it's like, how do things that start out so good end so poorly? And if you look at your life, and as I look back on my life, I'm like, there were some things that started really great, but didn't end very well. And as I read the book of Ezra, I'm reminded of this fact, that my ending doesn't have to be like their ending. Your ending doesn't have to be like their ending, because God is always faithful, even when we are not faithful. So go back to the very beginning of the the story of the nation of Israel, and you go into Genesis chapter 12. God finds this man named Abram, and he delivers this promise to him, and he says, listen, I need you to leave your land and go to a land that I am going to show you. So step out in faith, Abram. You don't know where you're going to go, but when you get there, I'll let you know you're there. So you've got to leave everything that's comfortable and go after what I'm calling you to go after. And he said this, He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you famous, and you're going to be a blessing to others. Now, how many of you would say yes to God if that's on the line, right? You're going to be a blessing, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name into a great nation. You've got all that going on, land, seed, and blessing. That's what he promises Abram. What we don't really realize about the story oftentimes is there was a lot of struggle that Abram had to push through to get to that place God had called him to. But with Abram and with you and I, God's calling us to a bigger work and it's bigger than the time and space that we are a part of. So with Abram, what God was doing in his life was bigger than his life and what God is doing with your life, make no mistake about it, is bigger than your life because there are generations that follow after you. And the tone that you set gets picked up by the generations that you lead. And there is this message to Ezra and Nehemiah, to the people of the nation of Israel, because they had been in exile, this message of hope. The Jewish people had been exiled to Babylon because the prophets for about a generation or so were saying, listen, repent. Like, Don't go after idols. We think about idol worship and we see a graven image and all that kind of stuff. We have our own version of idols today. Whatever sits on the throne above God is an idol in our life, and God is opposed to that. So they were drawn away because of idol worship. They were drawn away because they had abandoned God's laws, and they were were, uh, finding themselves in a territory where, man, life was not good because there was no justice in regards to their social worlds. And the 70-year exile was a consequence. Now, this is an interesting point. 
The 70 year exile was a consequence of their behavior, but it wasn't the end of the story. For you and I, some of us are experiencing some consequences because of some of the behaviors that we've been a part of for maybe a while. Maybe what we did in the past is catching up to us and there are consequences that we're working through right now. Consequences are not the end of the story. Never mistake a consequence for abandonment. Just because you're walking through a tough time as a result of what was sown into your life back then, don't ever, ever see that as abandonment from God or even from other people. Because other people are waiting and watching for you to get through what you're going through. You might be estranged from people right now, people that, that you love because of bad behavior. It doesn't have to be the end of the story. You might be in debt up to your eyeballs right now because of poor financial management. It doesn't have to be the end of your story. You might be passed over at work because maybe you haven't performed at an optimal level and you know that. Hey, it's not the end of your story and you might feel abandoned by God because you have rejected God. Said things that you can't even believe you would ever say. Done things that you didn't ever think you would ever find yourself doing. And you feel outside of his love and grace. Listen, the story is not over. God is calling you back home today. And sometimes it takes a while to rebuild what we have broken. Give it time. Give yourself time. God, he is patient. It talks about this in 2 Peter where it says this. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, as some people think, talking about the return of Christ. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want, now get this part, he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. It says this in Psalms 103, verse number 8, that the Lord is compassionate, merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You haven't done too much, you haven't gone too far, the Lord is patient. We're not only loved by God, we're liked by God. Like, if God had a refrigerator, I think Max Lucado was the one who said this, like, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Like, God is affectionate towards you. God has uh, good things in store for you. Plans for good and not for evil. And when things are challenging, it doesn't mean that God is up in the heavens and he's happy about that. He's hurting for you. He's hurting with you as you're walking through some difficult things. So never mistake consequences for abandonment. It would have been easy for the nation of Israel to think that God had abandoned them as they are 70 years in captivity, separated from their homeland and everything that God had promised them. Don't you do this if you're a parent? Don't you let your kids carry a little bit of consequence when they do something that's wrong? Like a limited amount of pressure to help them grow and mature so they don't make that mistake again. That's what you see in the text of Scripture, and God's hope is that this experience will help them learn, that they'll learn from the consequences. Good parents grieve when their kids are going through the consequences of things that they have done. If you're a parent, you've seen that in the life of your kids, and you're not happy when they have to go through it, but you know that they do so that they'll learn and be better on the other side. And so 70 years of exile was a consequence. It's not the end of the story. And I'm so thankful that that's clear throughout the text of Scripture, that the Scripture gives us a picture of people who struggle, people who fail, people who are fallen, people who 
who get back up after failure and we watch God restore them and make them better than they were before. And God never gives up on Israel as he will never give up on you. He's got a vision for them, just like he has a vision for you and for me and for this church. God has a vision for us. And the vision, we talked about it, he gave to Cyrus, or he gave to Isaiah, who would then give to Cyrus, and it was to rebuild. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Rebuild the temple of, of, of Jerusalem. God never gives up. And so then it says in the text of Scripture in Romans chapter 4, get a picture of this. This is the New Testament. It says, for Abraham is the father of all who believed. So we talked about that blessing that God promised Abraham. It says in the New Testament that God is the father of all of us who would come later and believe. And it says this is what the scriptures meant when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. And it says Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Did you get that last part? He brings dead things back to life. He brings new things out of nothing. You might think, hey, I got nothing to work with. Or this ship has sailed. This is dead and gone. God brings dead things back to life. And just as he spoke creation into existence out of nothing, he makes something happen when we, where we see nothing. Even though there was no reason to hope, it says in Scripture, Abraham kept hoping. And Abraham's faith didn't weaken even though, get this picture, at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham's 100 years old before he receives the promise. 75 years old, Sarah. Pregnant, looking for a home in a good school district. That's how, that's how God comes through. It was as good as gone and dead and over. But it says Abraham never wavered. In fact, his faith grew stronger. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. And God had promised that Israel would come out of captivity after 70 years. God hasn't given up on you and I either. Our mess is no match for God's desire to see us restored. No matter how far you've gone, no matter what's happened to you, no matter where you've wandered to, no matter who you've upset, our mess is no match for God's desire to see us restored. God never gives up. He keeps moving things forward. There are these three waves of exile. There's this process that God takes them through. It's like each wave was sponsored by someone that you wouldn't think would sponsor it, a Persian king. Like what kind of a king helps a nation get restored after they've been conquered and then funds the effort? That doesn't happen in history anywhere. So God uses these three Persian kings, and then he uses these three leaders. Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, all with different focuses. But here's the thing. As these three waves are taking place, it gives us this picture of, hey, we need to be patient when we're in the restoration process, when God is in the restoration process. Be patient when God has you in that process. It's easy to become impatient when you're working through consequences. Be patient in the restoration process. There's a lot of parts required to do a restoring work. What does it take to make it happen? Now think about this. 
They want to see the nation rebuilt. They want to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. They want to see the temple rebuilt. So think about this. One, it takes a vision from the Lord. A vision from the Lord has this whole thing orchestrated. It takes three Persian kings to come alongside. They're going to fund it and provide resources. Zerubbabel's going to come on the scene, and he's going to be a builder, right? That's going to be his skill. He's going to bring building to it. He's a builder. You've got Ezra. He's going to provide spiritual leadership and education along the way. You've got Nehemiah, who's brought into the picture, and he's a political leader. So he's working out the politics of things. And then you have the people, which is where most of us are. It takes manpower to move things forward. What does it take to transform a a community, a church, a life? It takes a vision, a vision from the Lord. The Lord has a vision for your life. You're not just one of many to Him. You are the one that He has a vision for, for your life. He sees you, knows you. The Lord has a vision for you. What does it take to rebuild a, a life, a community, a church, to do something great? It takes resources. Those Persian kings provided resources to move the work of the Lord forward. If the gift of giving is your thing, God will use that. God will build something great, of that, great out of that. And God will see that generations reap the rewards of your generosity. It takes funding. It takes builders like Zerubbabel, who will invest in the work, get it done. People here are required to to help move people forward if we're going to get the job done. It takes spiritual leadership. There's a spiritual component about this, or else we're we're just doing something that has temporary results. The church, we, TC3, are about seeing things have eternal results. We give to things that are tied to eternal results, not just temporary things. It takes politicians, it takes people doing the work at that level, and it takes manpower. It takes people like you and me in the trenches to transform a community, to make a church viable and successful. Do you know how many people it takes for an average Sunday to get pulled off around here? 110 volunteers. 110 I'd love for everybody in this place to be a part of the work here. If you're not a part of the work here and you go, you go here and you call this place your home, be invested somewhere in the work that's happening here. There's nothing more worthwhile than the work that the church is doing to connect people to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people required. There's a lot of moving parts required when it comes to rest- restoring work. And the restoration of people requires a change of heart. Restoration requires a change of heart. Each group, think about this, each group, and we talked about these leaders, they had their mission. They rebuilt the temple. They restored this commitment to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They rebuilt the city walls, like they had their place. Each group that was doing something special faced opposition as you and I face opposition, as the church faces opposition. Each group faced opposition from the inside, which is where it's most painful, and also from the outside. There are these three partial restorations. Like Zerubbabel, 
Like he gets the foundation up. We talked about this, and you have this grumbling between the older generation and the younger generation. It's, it's this weird space where he's trying to lead and do something great, but yet there is this struggle between the old and the new. Ezra, he seeks spiritual reform for the nation of Israel. He wants them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. And then, you know, that's starting to happen, and then he goes away and he comes back and he finds that they've gone back into the culture, being like everybody else and not being separated. And Nehemiah, he sees the walls of the nation of Israel get rebuilt. It's this great, incredible victory. But when he returns, he sees extortion. He sees brutality. He sees the Israelites putting other Israelites into slavery. And he beats the people out of frustration. <laughs> like, that's his leadership. Like, imagine doing a TED Talk if you're Isaiah or Nehemiah. Here's your TED Talk. So, I confronted them. It says this in the book of Nehemiah. I confronted them. I called down curses on them. I beat some of them. And I pulled out some of their hair. Like, I don't know any leaders that are leading that way. Like, I wouldn't look at that and go, that's a successful model of leadership. We should all model that. Right? So Nehemiah leads with mixed results. Three great leaders with less than perfect results. As you're raising those kids, and you got two great kids, and then one with mixed results, be faithful. God is faithful. He'll help you get through what you're going through, and he'll give you the wisdom that you need to raise that child. After these three cycles of success and failure, the question has to be asked, why do they start so well and finish so, so poorly? As we've asked some, on some of the adventures that we've been on, because Israel needed a change of heart. Oftentimes, that's the case with us. We need a change of heart. When the Bible speaks about the heart, it's speaking about the inner man, the soul, the seed of control of the will and emotions. That's where when God talks about the heart, he says this, and if you follow your heart, you're in trouble because it says this in Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, right? Hollywood would love for us to follow our heart. But the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? History has revealed to us how bad the human heart is. And then it says that the Lord alone searches the heart and examines the secret motives and gives people their due rewards according to their actions. Nehemiah and Ezra aren't just books on leadership. They give us a picture that we all have a heart problem. Call it whatever you want. When you look at the children of Israel, their heart wasn't in it. Their heart wasn't right. Their heart was divided. They had a hard heart. Israel's heart led them away from God continually, as oftentimes is the case in our world. For us to finish strong, for us to have a happy ending in our life, a happy ending requires a change of heart. And what befuddles me when I look at the story of the nation of Israel is that even the trauma of exile didn't bring about transformation. Oftentimes, trauma brings about transformation. 
but it didn't bring about the transformation of the human heart for them. Unfortunately, negative consequences don't always cause people to change courses. Israel had a hard heart before exile, and after exile, when God restores them, it wasn't soon after that 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 same hard heart was revealed again. Israel has been brought out of Babylon, but they're still spiritual exiles. For many of us, we've been brought out of some things. God's rescued us from things, but we're still spiritual exiles. Thankfully, Jesus provides us a way out. He provides us this new and true exodus. So I want you to think about when the New Testament opens up. When the New Testament opens up, we find John the Baptist, and he's at the Jordan River, and he's baptizing people. If you haven't been baptized, we've got a baptism service coming up in a couple of weeks. Make sure you're part of it. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. This is the same place where the children of Israel made their way into the Promised Land. So this should be this aha moment that God is doing something new and special here. He's bringing about this spiritual restoration. John and Jesus knew that there needed to be a change of heart. And through Jesus' life and his death and his burial and his resurrection, we have a new life. Through Jesus, whose line, family tree, goes all the way back to Abram. Through Jesus, God fulfills his promise to Abram because Jesus became a blessing for not just his generation, but all the families of the earth and all the people of the earth would be blessed through him. So I want you right now to take your communion elements. Get, get those ready. I took communion yesterday at a wedding and it took me a hot minute to get those elements ready. And I almost ended up half, taking half of the, the uh, covenant there because I couldn't get the wafer free. So take a minute, get yourself prepared. Because today, I want us to celebrate the spiritual exodus that Jesus provided for us. This new life that we walk in, this new change of heart, because it says this, think about this, in Romans chapter 8 it says this, that the, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weaknesses of our sinful nature. The Israelites wandered back because of the weakness of their sinful nature, so God did what the law couldn't do. He sent his own son in bodily form, it says. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Paul said it this way in Galatians. He said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is not, no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. He's like, I don't, I don't treat that, that grace with contempt. I live every day with the realization that God has given me this new exodus through Jesus Christ. Peter, the one who had failed and denied Christ three times, he writes these words, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. And then he lists some promises that we have because of what Jesus did, and he said, these are promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. A relationship with Jesus gives us a change of heart. He provides a way out. He gives us this new spiritual exodus. 
And he doesn't want us to just win situationally. He wants us to finish well. So I want you to take the elements in your hand. As you hold them in your hand, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray that God would help us to be mindful of the spiritual exodus that he provided for us. And then we as a congregation will receive those elements together. Father, I pray right now that this moment would be a holy and sacred moment, that we would realize that you provided us a new and better exodus. You provided us a spiritual exodus. The whole Bible points to you providing us this spiritual exodus that allows us to be able to control the desires of the flesh, that allows us to be able to be in relationship with you, that brings us into family with you. I pray right now for those of us that are wrestling, that you would help us to to understand that in you there is freedom that we would surrender the things of our life that are vying for control and we'd put you on the top. And we, like the disciples, when Jesus talked to them, would remember that this blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin, that this body was broken so that we, dear Lord, could be in relationship with you. And I, I pray that as we receive communion today, we would walk in victory of the new exodus that you provided for us. In your name we pray. You can receive the elements.